Hi, Shine family. My name is Levi Ennis, and this is my wife, Jennifer. And we have two sons, William and Sean, and we've been going to Shine since day one, and we love it. And our tradition is what we call the December 1st box, and it's something that Jennifer created about three years ago because she was looking for something that our family could celebrate every year in anticipation of Christmas. And when she came down the stairs December 1st, uh, it was a surprise, and now it's become a beloved tradition. And it's simply a collection of things like pajamas, candy, and uh, an advent calendar, which simply helps us track and intentionally prepare for the, the month coming up to Christmas. The most special gift in that box is an Ebenezer stone. And that's something that Jennifer did uh, the first time, which has become one of our favorite parts of the tradition that we do every year. Yeah, in 1 Samuel 7:12, the Bible talks about Ebenezer as a stone of help. And it's something for us to remember the past year of God's provision and His power and protection over our lives. So a physical representation that we can look at and remember the past year. So we've just continued that each year and built on them and collected those stones. Yeah, so it's not a surprise anymore, but we do look forward to it every year, the 1st of December. And this is the Ebenezer Stone. It's 1 Samuel 7:12, and it says, Thus far the Lord has helped us. What song This says Ebenezer. That's an Ebenezer stone. Is this mine? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> From our family to yours, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hey, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Advent, and uh, I grew up Catholic. How many former Catholics in here do we have? Okay, and I do remember um, Advent, and I, not that Catholics are the only one that, that celebrate or, or go through Advent, but I remember the little uh, cardboard calendars, and they had mixed up numbers, kind of like we did on ours, and you had to find the number, and each and every day you had to peel open that door, and you had like a piece of chocolate. Um, I remember as a kid thinking that chocolate was just amazing. Um, now that I'm older, it's terrible. Anybody else? <laughs> the chocolate is terrible. But I could not wait. And I remember one particular year, I cheated and went a couple days ahead, and I got in so much trouble for that. I ate too many chocolates ahead, and it was, it was bad. It just didn't go well. So um, when we got together as a teaching team, we kind of discussed, hey, what could be something special that we could do for our Christmas series? And the idea of bringing up Advent, and Pastor DJ did such an incredible job last week kind of explaining that. Uh, I'm not going to go into all those details, but we did put together a little Advent book, and it's not too late to join in. Out in the foyer out here, um, there on the shelf there, if you didn't get one last week, please do, because... Uh, there's scriptures for every day of the week. Um, it explains each one of the candles that we're, being, that we're going through and that we're teaching on. And we're encouraging you as a family to participate in this. And what's really cool is already this week we've gotten testimony of, of families um, actually reading through the scriptures together and uh, taking the time to actually take day after day just to go through those scriptures. And so we want to encourage you, do that. Take your family, maybe it's just you yourself, and read through the scriptures. One, there's one for every single day of this coming week. And so just encourage you to do that because it can just, it just can in, increase the excitement for Christmas Day, yes? 
Um, I, I tell couples this, I, especially brides. I'll, I'll meet with them before, you know, like three months before their wedding, and we'll go through the actual ceremony. And then at the end of the meeting, I'll say, hey, listen, one quick thing that I want to speak to both of you, and really, it's really for the bride, but I want to speak this to you. Um, they make a TV show called Bridezilla. Anybody ever seen that? And I, and I tell them, hey, listen, the reason that a bride becomes a bridezilla is because they get caught up in all the little details. And they get to this place where they're so consumed by all the little details of the wedding coming up that they miss out on the joy of their own wedding. And unfortunately, I've done weddings where I will talk to the bride or the groom and say, man, are you so excited? And they'll say something like this, I just can't wait for this to get over. And church, we have Christmas coming up. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people have that mentality with Christmas. That they're just, they find themselves caught up in all the details and all of the little things that are taking place, all the family issues, and they miss out on an opportunity to actually remember the powerful, powerful thing that Jesus Christ did for you and I. Yes? And so let's be a church and let's, let's be a group of people that don't get to the 20th or 21st, 22nd and just go, I just can't wait till this is over. <laughs> yeah? Some of you are already there, aren't you? <laughs> I just can't wait till the New Year's gets here. No, that's not the case. So uh, Pastor DJ talked last week about the hope candle and he, uh, as I said, he did an incredible job. He talked about binding ourselves to Jesus Christ and how he becomes an anchor. And then he actually shared the story of the betrothal process. And if you didn't get to hear that, man, what a great illustration of the fact that we are the bride of Christ and that Jesus is going to return for us. Yes? That is our great hope. And he just really did an incredible job of teaching us that we need to tie ourselves to him and he becomes an anchor for our life. And so we're going to go ahead and light that hope candle and let that burn as I go ahead and teach, which I'm a little concerned with because there's fire and I'm moving a lot. So if I get too close, somebody just yell out at me, okay, if I start backing up into it. Uh, this week, we're doing the Bethlehem candle, and it actually represents faith. And it's interesting because at Christmas time, you hear a lot about hope, you hear a lot about joy, you hear a lot about peace, you hear a lot about love. But I don't know if I've heard too many messages about faith during Christmas, and so I was super excited uh, to be able to give this message. And so I'm going to just open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to just jump in. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, this season. We thank you uh, for the fact that you so loved us, that you gave your one and only son, that Jesus came here as a little baby boy, and God, that you ultimately um, let him die for our sake and for our benefit. And so... Uh, Lord, we just come before you right now and we ask that you would stir in our hearts um, a level of faith, increase our faith and our belief in your son and in you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that um, this Christmas season, we get to choose whether we focus in on all of distractions and all the things of, of the world or focus in on you and what you have done through uh, sending your son Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that right now that I would decrease and that you would increase in me and that as I speak, Lord, that your word would go into the hearts and into the spirits of every person listening. And Lord, we thank you for your word in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, um, the heart of this series, I just want to give you um, 
just actually my heart for this series. I looked up, I looked up Advent, and I found this really cool definition. I know DJ talked about um, it's the coming, and we had obviously the coming of Jesus as a baby, but then we have the second coming that we're looking forward to. But I found a definition um, online that said this, that Advent means this, an arrival of a notable person. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And the illustration they gave was the advent of television. That was the example in the dictionary, the advent of television. Now, how many of you know the advent of Jesus Christ is much more important? Yes? And, um, and it's funny because it's, it's this expectation and this understanding that someone of value or something or some event, but in this case, someone of value is coming. And I think a lot of times, because it's been so long, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was on this earth and walked and talked on this earth, um, that I think that there's like um, this, this idea or thought in our head that we just, well, maybe it's not today. It's, you know, it's going to be far off, and, and we kind of lose track. Um, church, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is coming. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is coming. Yeah. And this is a good thing. And where when we're celebrating Advent, we're actually celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming. And I, my heart and my hope, and actually I find myself struggling at this time of the year with keeping that as the focus. I get so caught up and Kim and I are talking about when are we doing crab legs? Are we doing crab legs on Christmas Eve? Are we doing them on Christmas Day? We have too many people over to do crab legs on Christmas And we're having all these conversations. And you know what? Man, we get caught up in all those traditions and we miss out on the fact that Jesus Christ came here for you and for I. And so this candle that we're talking about this week is the Bethlehem candle. And Matthew 2.6 says this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, Matthew was actually quoting an Old Testament prophet, Micah, as a matter of fact, you can look in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, and you can find that exact verse there as he was speaking prophetically somewhere around 750 B.C., 750 years before Christ was born. Now, real quick, why, why is that significant? Help me out. Why is it significant that Micah spoke 750 years prior? Yes, Melanie. Because it hadn't happened yet, and it happened exactly like Micah said, 750 years prior, yes? Okay, let me give you the magnitude of this. Bethlehem was uh, a city started by a clan of the tribe of Judah, and it was the smallest clan of Judah. And so because of that, we have this little teeny city, and Micah says that there's going to be this Messiah born and that this Messiah was gonna be born in this little teeny insignificant town. Think about all of the countries of the world, all of the towns of the world, and this prophet, 750 years prior, talked about this baby being born in Bethlehem. Now just to give credence to Micah, he also prophesied about 150 years prior to it happening, the fall of Jerusalem 
to the Babylonians and the fact that actually the Israelites would come back and restore that. And guess what? That happened historically. This isn't just talking about biblically. We're talking about historically. That's exactly what took place. The Babylonians came in, conquered Jerusalem. They actually cap- captured them, prison, prisoned them. And then after uh, a series of years, uh, we actually have uh, people that went back to restore the actual city. Why is that significant? Because I want you to understand that there's great weight in the prophecy of the Old Testament. I put it this way in my notes. If this didn't happen, it would have discredited the prophecy of Micah. This little teeny thing of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Jesus could have been born anywhere else. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to travel, or not Jesus, but Mary and Joseph had to travel over 80 miles to get to Bethlehem. We're going to read that in just a minute. Just to get there, this little teeny insignificant town, and yet this is where the Messiah was born, and it was predicted to happen 750 years prior. If that had not happened, think about this, church. It would have made the prophecies of Micah discredited, and it possibly could have created doubt in all other prophecies of the Old Testament, yes? Now, I want to speak to you about that for a minute. There are 60 major prophecies that are spoken at least 400 years and some as many as 1,000 or 1,100 years prior to Jesus being born. 60. How many? 60. 60. And then they say that there's somewhere between 270, and I've read as many as 330, ramifications, so little things that Jesus would have fulfilled from the Old Testament by being born. Now, to give you the magnitude of what this means, um, there's a book called More Than a Carpenter, and he gives this illustration. He says that just for eight of those prophecies, how many were there? 60. I'm just checking to see if everybody's listening. For eight of those prophecies to be filled, the chances that eight of those being predicted by several different authors to happen several hundred years later, the prophecy would be one in 10 to the 17th power. (laughs) Math guys are going, whoa. Other people are like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Okay, let me give you this. It's a chance of one in one with 17 zeros behind it, okay? So imagine how big that number is. Some of you still aren't comprehending this. So let me give you a physical illustration. If you took the state of Texas and you filled the state of Texas, okay, the entire land mass of Texas with silver dollar coins, they would be two feet deep. You mark one with an X, Blindfold somebody and say, go into Texas. You can walk as far and as, you can go wherever you want, but you have to bend down at some point. Dig through the two feet of silver dollar coins throughout the entire state. You have to pick one coin and you have to go, this is the one with the necks on it. That's the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just eight. How many were there? 60. Church, I'm here to tell you right now that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you have a better, you have a, you, you have a wilder belief than I do. Because God actually gave us this man 
that fulfilled all of these prophecies. And this is one of the prophecies, that he would be born in this little insignificant town of Bethlehem. And so the next time you sing, O little town of Bethlehem, I want you to remember the illustration of the coins in Texas. Because I don't know about you, but for me, it stirs something in me that goes, oh my gosh, I believe in this man. I believe in this God that would send his one and only son on our behalf. Now, you can't talk about Bethlehem with actually without talking about um, Joseph and Mary. And so I wanted to read these stories to you real quick. Um, Luke chapter one speaks about Mary, and it says this, starting in verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. I want you to remember that phrase. No word from God will ever fail. Keep that in your memory. We're gonna bring, come back to that a little bit later. I love Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Have you ever read that story and actually contemplated and actually spent any time meditating on Mary's response to that. Okay, wait a second. I'm a virgin. You're saying I'm gonna have a baby. I've never been with a man. And you say I'm gonna have a baby. <laughs> and she even said, how is this gonna happen? And, and the angel tells her. And she doesn't even question a second time. How would you do? How would you guys do? She didn't answer a second time. She just says this, okay, all right. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel was like, okay, that's cool, and left. Can you imagine what her thoughts were afterwards? Is it tonight? When does this happen? I'm not even sure when this is gonna take place. He didn't even give me a timeline. He just said this is gonna take place. And yet we know through the story that it takes place and she becomes pregnant. And so now I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. He is betrothed to her and he is going to marry her. And all of a sudden, um, can you imagine this conversation? Um, hey, uh, Joseph, I need to talk to you. Okay. Um, I don't even know how to tell you this. I, I'm, I'm pregnant. You're what? 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine how he would have responded to that? And pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1. This is how he responds. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that word they came together means before they consummated their relationship, okay? Before they were actually physically with one another. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, now get the picture. This man loved this woman. Do you see this? And he didn't, he, he knew the law. He knew what needed to happen. But he was like, you know what? I'm just going to call off the whole thing. I'm going to take the, the deal, the betrothal that DJ talked about. I'm going to take that off the table. And I'm just going to kind of separate, divorce myself from her because of this thing that, that took place. Even after she had, I bet, pleaded and talked with and said, hey, this is what happened. It doesn't say that, but I can't imagine that they didn't talk about it. Yeah? But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to call him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us, which is, by the way, another prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Okay, that's what he's quoting actually right there. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So here's a man that was gonna divorce and and walk away from the betrothal process and say, nope, you know what? I'm gonna do that quietly. And an angel comes and speaks to him and he goes, okay, I'm gonna take her as my wife and I now believe with the Lord. We don't know exactly what Joseph said, to the angel or, or how that interacted, but here's what we do know. He made the decision, you know what? I'm gonna go with this woman. Can you imagine what society was saying about them? I mean, it happens now in this society, but back then, this was rare, rare, rare. You guys know that, right? And so can you imagine the criticism and the, the, the looks that they would receive as she was getting bigger and bigger? more and more pregnant. Mary, he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so now we've got Mary, we've got Joseph, and we obviously have a word from God that came to both of them, but they lived in, uh, in, in Galilee. And so uh, here's the question, how did they get to Bethlehem? Because in order to have the prophecy fulfilled, they had to be in Bethlehem. And unbeknownst to Caesar Augustus, he actually steps into God's plan as well. And let me read this, and then I'm going to kind of wrap all this and, and give you a few points that I feel like come out of this story. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So jo Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, three applications that I want you to take home with you today. The first one is this. Following God may be extremely inconvenient and irritating. Yes? Okay, uh, just real quick, show of hands, how many mothers in here? Okay, how many of you had your child away from home? Like not in your city, not that you, in your city that you lived in. We, well, that's, we went an hour away, right? But we're still in there. How about this? How many of you had your baby not near to the hospital that you were planning to have your baby in? Do you think Mary was excited about having a baby in Bethlehem? Where she lived, her family, her friends, and yet they had to go to this consent, the, the, um, yeah, the census, uh, consensus, the census. They had to go. It was mandated by law. And the Caesar didn't care how many months pregnant she was. They had to go. And here's what I want you to remember, that when we follow God, it's not always convenient. And as a matter of fact, I would even say sometimes when God asks you to do something, it may be a little irritating to you. And what I mean by that is your flesh. Your flesh may not want to actually do what he's asking you to do. Anybody? Let me give you an illustration from last night. Last night we had our staff Christmas party. We went downtown and had an incredible dinner. Because of traffic, rush hour, we decided to ride the light rail. So we get back on the light rail to come back home and about three stops into the way back, um, this couple gets on. And um, he shuttles uh, this girl to a seat real quick. And you can tell something is not right with this lady. And so um, she's just sitting there. And she's just like, oh. I mean, she's kind of even moaning a couple times. And finally, people see this. So they open up another seat so that he can sit with her. And so she moves her over. And uh, I'm just standing there holding you know, the little hook there and riding the light rail. And I feel the Holy Spirit go, pray for her. Okay, we're downtown Denver. They got tattoos all over their bodies. Okay, amen. <laughs> and I'm like, no. They, I don't even know if they want me to, to pray for them. And I start battling this thing in my head. Anybody? Anybody. I would much rather just keep talking to the staff that is there and keep having a good time, and yet I can't get away from this, and I'm actually getting a little irritated that he won't let me go. He won't let it go, and it's definitely not very convenient, because there's not just only staff around, but then there's also all kinds of other people that I don't know. And so that feeling comes in of, Man, I, 
I'll be embarrassed if I do this. And people might think I'm funny. They might reject the fact that I'm, and so I'm just battling. I'm battling, I'm battling. And I wish I could say that in 30 seconds, I made an answer. But it was like four minutes went by. Five minutes went by. We're stopping, going, stopping, going. And each time we stop, I'm thinking, um, maybe they'll get off here. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, and if they do, you will regret not praying. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I just stepped up to her, and I just said, hey, what's your names? And his name was Wes, and her name was Alice. And I said, what, what's going on? And she goes, I lifted up a Christmas tree a couple days ago, and I pulled something in my neck, and I can't even hardly move my neck, and something's in my clavicle here, and I, I, I'm in so much pain. And I said, well, I don't know what you know about God, but I said, I believe God created all of us, and he loves each one of us. Can I pray for you? And she was like, Yeah. Yeah. Now, I wish I could tell you that I prayed for her, and she was like, oh, man, it feels great, and, and jumped off the bus, or uh, the, the light rail. She didn't. But I did pray for her, and DJ and I started talking to her, and we actually, uh, we actually gave you as a reference to her. I don't know if she'll call you or not, but we were talking about muscle therapy. I, that Shirley does. And, and so um, who knows? I don't know what God's going to do, but here's what I do know. Um, as soon as I got done, I felt the Lord go, thank you. Thank you for being obedient to that. And I found myself thinking, am I willing to do something inconvenient? Something that might irritate my flesh in order to follow him. Joseph and Mary, in some ways they had no choice. But they definitely will in a very inconvenient way to have Jesus. Second thing is this, we need to make room for God. Are you making room for God right now? This is an incredibly busy time. How are you doing in making room for God? When I say at the beginning of this that we want you to take that Advent book home and actually read through those verses, the reason I'm saying that is so that you will maybe make some room for God. We get so busy in this time of year. Just all of, we have regular life and then we have all the other stuff that comes along with it because we're in the Christmas season. Yes? We have to be more intentional now to make room for God. Do you agree? <laughs> Good places for amens right there. Just by, the, I mean, if you want to. We need to make room for God. The third application that I want you to take home with you today is this one. We need to be prepared. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, if they had the internet, they could have called ahead and got a room reservation, right? Maybe even called a hospital and, and got it all set up. Hey, we have to go to the stupid census, um, and we're probably going to have a baby while we're there, and so we need to get everything in line and get all the preparations. That's exactly how it would be right now, yes? And yet they didn't have those things. And so I put in my notes, we need to be prepared. And even if we are not, God still has a plan. And so here's my question. Are you prepared for somebody on a light rail and the Holy Spirit to go, will you pray for them? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Is your heart prepared for that? Are you taking time to actually say, God, give me opportunity during this Christmas season? We call it Christmas, Christmas. 
We get the opportunity every day to say Merry Christmas. And it may irritate somebody in this time and age right now. And if it does, maybe that's an open door for you to actually come in and speak the good news of Jesus Christ to them. You all are going to deal with family. No amens on that, huh? Are you prepared for the opportunities that you may or may not have with family members? That maybe they need to hear some good news. Maybe they need an encouragement word. Maybe they need um, something from God this Christmas season. And God wants to use you. Are you asking him, God, use me. Here am I. Use me. Are you preparing your heart to do this? And understand that even when you don't prepare all the things and get it in all in the right order, you know what? God still can use you. God still can prepare you in areas that you don't even know you needed to prepare for. He still has a plan. And so here's what I want to finish with today, and that is this, God's plan. What is God's plan? And I just wrote down some incredible gifts. You know, Christmas time is all about gifts. Amy asked, how many of you have finished your shopping? We actually have, who, you, you're done? You really are done? And you're done? You're done? I, wow. How many of you haven't begun? Okay, that's, <laughs> okay, that's, uh, um, what, when, go interactive here, I'm going to ask a question, have you give me some feedback, um, what are some of the gifts that you feel like God has given to us? Just one word, little answers, what, what comes to mind? Children, oh, incredible gifts, yeah, absolutely, what else? Good answer. That's it right on. Yeah. And some guy's gone, oh, man, why didn't I say that first? Huh? Friendship. Friendship. Love it. Good gift. What else? Colorado. Colorado. It's a great gift. Yep. Freedom. Freedom. It's a good gift, yeah? Freedom, not only country-wise, right, but freedom from the things that hinder us inside, right? Sin issues that hinder us. What else? His presence. Can you imagine a world without his presence? Man. Yeah. His son. That was a great answer. Don't be bashful. That was awesome. There's actually a verse that we all know, at least I think most of us know, for God so loved his world, this world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son. What a great gift. What an incredible gift. Somebody else. Children, they got, yeah, you, Jeremy, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Education. How about the ability to learn? Yeah? That's good. You know, you know that it really sets us apart from all the other creatures on this earth. We can actually educate and no, we don't, uh, we don't keep building the houses the same way a bird does every over year, every year. You don't see any triplex birdhouses, do you? <laughs> Just don't. Huh? Choice. Love that. Somebody else over here? His what? His word. The word of God, absolutely. Man, all of these are so good and so true. I was reading in my personal reading about two weeks ago in Galatians, and I came across this scripture, 
And I want you to listen to some of the gifts that are listed even in here. And it's not a, it's not a section that are, is really known kind of as a gift section, but I was reading through it and I was like, oh my gosh, there's three or four really good gifts in here. Galatians 4, and for you guys here on the computer, they're switched, so go to Galatians 4 first. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. How about redemption? You guys consider that a gift? Yeah? Salvation? That we might receive adoption to sonship. How about the gift of adoption? We said we're grateful for our children. How about the fact that you're a child of God? Do you know that every single one of us that walks and talks on this planet are his children? And it's unfortunate because some haven't turned back to him and understand that there's a relationship with the one that created you that you can have. Man, what an incredible gift. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That word Abba literally means daddy. Daddy. So you are no longer a slave. There's the freedom. But God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. How about the gift of inheritance? How about the fact that we have the gift of uh, being an heir to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that is above anything that could be on earth? And yes, those who have asked Jesus into their heart have every right to say, I now am a part of that inheritance. Man, is that good news? That is so good. This section of scripture, though, comes after Galatians 3. And I want to talk about this gift that I sometimes think, um, that sometimes don't, people don't realize that this really is a gift. As a matter of fact, um, we use the terminology a lot to describe what we believe. And I'll talk about this in just a second. Galatians 3, 21 through 26. This is a little heady, so put on your thinking caps here. We were given the gift to be able to learn, right? Grab that gift right now. It is the law, therefore, opposed, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Okay, so what he's saying right here is that if there was any particular rule or regulation that you or I could do that would actually bring that life, that freedom, those gifts into our hearts, then it would actually have been given. But what he's trying to help us to see is that there is no single law, there's no list of things that we do that can bring that life. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, I wanna stop there. It's interesting to me that this is how it's worded. Before the giving of faith. Before the giving of this faith. What, what, what comes to mind when you hear that? Before Jesus was born? Before, okay, before creation? I, before grace? 
Okay, yeah? Before this faith was given, it makes me think, wait, faith wasn't given until Jesus came. Do you get anybody? Okay, I know I'm getting you thinking right here. Sorry. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until that faith, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Now, just real quick, it talks about faith five or six times in those few verses. I realize that some of you may consider this just semantics and playing of words. And if you look them up, they're very close. But I would submit to you that there's a difference between trust, belief, and faith. And a lot of times in this world, people will say, what faith are you? What faith are you? Christian, and that's the answer, or Buddhist, or Islam, right? That's the verbiage that we use. But if faith is a gift that came with Jesus, I would submit to you that those things that we would normally answer that question, those are beliefs. And faith, actually, is a gift that God gave to each one of us when we asked Jesus into our heart. Now, just for a little uh, Bible study for yourself if you want to go home and look into this, but the word faith is eerily absent in the Old Testament. You'll find faithfulness where it talks about God's faithfulness to people because he absolutely is faithful. But I, years ago, went into the Old Testament trying to find where it said that they put their faith in other gods, or they put their faith in other people, or they put their faith, it's not there. It's not there. And so here's what I wanna finish with. Christmas season is an incredible time to build our faith. What is faith? Hebrews says faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident in what we don't see, and I know I've taught this before, but I'm gonna teach it again. How many of you feel comfortable being confident in things you don't see? Man, it's hard to be confident in something you don't see unless Romans 10, 17 comes in where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. I told you earlier on to remember what Mary said. I gotta go back to it. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. And so church, here's what I want you to do for the rest of this Christmas season. Will you make room for God? Will you prepare your heart? And will you ask God, whether it's inconvenient, irritating, whatever the circumstance, will you ask him, God, speak to me? Because when you speak to me, I know that your word will never, never fail. Now, interesting, I struggled with this because I had to prepare this whole message and then I had this light rail experience last night and I was like, God, you didn't heal her. And this is what he told me. I didn't tell you I was gonna heal her. All I did was ask you to pray for her.
We serve, church, a God that is very concerned with every detail. The word of God says he knows the number of hair on your head. Man, that's crazy. For some of you, it's more than others. It's interesting because I think when God speaks something to us, we jump to assumptions, yes? I jumped last night to the assumption that if I prayed for her, she would be healed. But God told me, now all I did was ask you to pray for her. Now, I'm gonna learn from that example, and the next time I'm gonna say, okay, God, I'll pray for her. What do you want me to pray? Because I prayed for healing, and maybe he wanted me to pray for boldness, or maybe he wanted me to pray for encouragement. Maybe he wanted, I don't know, but so many times, yes or no, we make an assumption. And so as we go into this time where we're dealing with neighbors and coworkers and family members that can be irritating, Will you go before God and ask him to speak to you? And then will you listen well? Because no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. And as a matter of fact, Hebrews says that when he speaks to us and we step out in that faith, we can be confident of what we heard, yes? Now, Hebrews eleven six actually says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, that's a powerful word right there. Impossible. Can't do it. We can't please God without faith. And so, I found it very interesting as we were researching the Advent. Because some, some churches actually teach the second week on peace. But we actually found one that said faith. And I was like, let's teach that one. Because if we become a group of people that go before God and say, God, speak to me as we enter into this season. And when we hear his voice and we know that his word doesn't let us down, we can be confident in what he tells us, and we can be great men and women of faith, even during Christmas. Amen? All right. So, if you're at home and you're following along, we want you to go ahead and uh, light up your second candle, and you can burn it. I, some people burn it during dinner every night. I, every, every family has something a little bit different, but would encourage you uh, to follow along at home throughout the week, read through those verses, um, but we're gonna go ahead and light this second candle um, representing faith, and here's the thing. As we do these each and every week, we're getting closer and closer to this center one, and if you read through the booklet, this center one is called the Christ candle. And on Christmas Eve, we're gonna gather together and we're gonna light this Christ candle and then we're gonna actually have our candlelight um, portion of our service and it's just gonna be incredibly powerful. And here's, here's how it becomes more, more meaningful to you and I than just another service where we do candles. If we put hope and we put faith and we put joy, and we put peace into action, then when we get to this Christ candle, there's an expectancy and just a joy 
and a, and a hope and a peace and, and a faith that rises up in us. And we won't be just doing that candlelight ceremony just to light some candles, but we'll be doing it to celebrate the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ who is coming back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, your coming. We thank you that you are uh, going to come again. And Lord, we look forward to um, your return. The meaning of, of, of a significant person coming into a room or coming into an area. God, we look forward to your return. And so Lord, help us to not get complacent um, with that idea. Help us not to be like, well, it's not gonna be today, so uh, I'm gonna live differently. God, help us to live in such a way that you would be coming back tonight or tomorrow morning. God, help us to see the fact that you are returning and that you are just preparing a place for us. And so, Lord, help us to be a people who prepare our hearts, who make room for you, and that we'll step through inconvenient and irritating things in order to, to listen to your voice and to do what you ask us to do. And so, Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen.